We've all been taught that God loves us, but what does that mean? What is the love of God and how are we called to respond to it? Join us as we discuss those questions and more with Father Peter Cameron, OP, Editor-in-Chief of Magnificat and author of the new book, Made for Love, Loved by God. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm the host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Today we're talking about Made for Love, Loved by God. Uh, joined in our studio here today with our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, uh, the Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And somebody who we've had before, Father Peter Cameron, uh, Dominican priest, uh, editor-in-chief of Magnificat, which is a extremely popular and, and extremely helpful uh, prayer aid uh, that's really uh, translated in a number of different languages, three different languages at least. Uh, you're the chairman of the Department of Homiletics at St. Joseph Seminary in Dunwoody, New York a retreat master, a playwright, and founder and artistic director of the Blackfriars Repertory Theater in New York, and you're author of 10 books, but today we're talking about Made for Love, Loved by God. So, as the title says, you know, what, what, what do we really mean? What does it mean when we say we're made for love? Well, if you bring into a room some object that no one's ever seen before, so some, some creature, the first thing that you ask when you look at it is, okay, well, what is it and what's it for? Right. And um, that is true also of the human being. Okay. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we experience a lot of sadness or we feel confused or lost in life because we know if we exist, we exist for a purpose. We don't know what that is sometimes, and our purpose is love. So, so we were made by God. We're made by God who is love. Right, and then, but we are made for love. Right. Wow. So yeah, and, and when, we, when we know that we are made for love, there's a lot of, uh, and lot of repercussions of that fact. Well, there's certainly a lot of expectation because <laughs> yeah. I don't always feel really? a lot of love in my life. Yeah. And when I don't feel it, that's when the quality of my life immediately begins to sort of evaporate. I feel lonely, I feel cheated, yes. I feel a little injustice, and I, I'm asking what's going on because right. yeah. nothing else suffices. Yes. except for this love. Well, and, and since we, it's an assumption that a lot of us have, we know it, uh, we can see it, we, we've experienced it, but what, what would you say, how would you define love? Love is willing the good to another and then doing something about it. Huh. Yeah. And yeah. This uh, sense of uh, expectancy that you speak of, yeah. uh, it's pretty profound. It's not something external to man, it's inscribed in his very being. It's the constitution of his nature, uh, the architecture of hope, as, as Pieper puts it. it. It's something we are anchored to. We are expectation. And doesn't that imply that there's somebody out there that's anxious to fulfill that sense of expectation. Absolutely, because otherwise <clears throat> this expectation is like a disease or something, because if it's in me, yeah. I didn't put it there, right. uh -huh. uh, so 
um, someone is responsible for it, and at the same time, I on my own can't satisfy what the expectation is looking for. And that can create hmm. a terrible kind of, uh, what, a, 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 a chaos or a kind of a, a frustration because if I'm expecting something yeah. that uh, is not inside me and the expectation comes from outside of me, then the most natural thing that I can do is appeal to whoever it is that put right. this expectation in right. me and already with that we're beginning to pray. Right. You know, it's, huh. the, it's the first motion of religion. Yeah. You know, when you identify love as the thing we are made for, you know, I think everybody would say, well, yeah. At the same time, you know, you quote a number of people in this book, yeah. but one of my favorites, of course, is the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, who emphasizes the need not only for the truth of love, but also for a distinction, you know, that you don't just love people because of how they make you feel. Mm. And yet, a lot of people, look for those who are lovely and lovable to love, yeah. and then look to those who are going to make me feel good. And it's the truth of love. You know, the fact is he emphasizes that you can love someone who's unpleasant because you know God made them and has, you know, if God has loved them into existence, he, you can participate in his love for that person, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of willing the good for another, you know, kind of adjust the expectation so that love is not like, you know, being fulfilled completely by another. Right. Because apart from God, that kind of thing just doesn't happen through human love. And the possibility for me to love another in the way that you're describing, Dr. Han, is possible because that's how I have been loved. Yeah. You know, I have all of my lim limitations, my weaknesses, my flaws, but the, the fact is there's something greater about me that all of those things don't eclipse. And that's the fact that, as you say, I've been loved into existence. And if I simply harness that love in the way that I regard and I, I, I relate to another human being, then this wonderful beauty appears, which mm -hmm. is what we call friendship. Right. It, it's only love when you give it away. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, a wonderful example, I mean countless examples in the book, uh, and you've really hit another home run with this book. Yeah. It's so marvelous, right. chock full of, uh, of quotes, uh, just a, a regular anthology of, of uh, lapidary stuff. But one example that is so poignant is that little boy, yeah. uh, Amando, yeah. the eight-year-old who can't walk, he can't talk. The world would say, this kid is hopeless. He should have been aborted. Uh, do his mother a favor. Yeah. But in fact, when you pick him up, he quivers with joy. Yes. Uh, and that, that is just so infectious. Yes. And you mentioned that he's really this therapeutic presence right. uh, in the midst of this community. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and Armando's story, this is Jean Vanier, who yep. is the founder of L'Arche. And so he's this great hero for some of the most neglected and marginalized people, develop me, uh, de de developmentally disabled people. So yeah. Armando was, um, he was abandoned by his mother, came from a broken family, he was undernourished, he was in so many ways just weak, really on the verge of death until Jean Vanier found him. And he only responded little by little to this loving. So picking him up and loving him was a, a way of wooing him back to life. I don't think anybody expected that the process right. of embracing this man would change them. Yeah. You know, but yeah. this, is, this is the power of love, of yeah. divine love. When you encounter it, it, it loves you back and it enables you to love in a way that exceeds, again, all of those. You know, th there's a sense in which God loves us uh, the way that Armando loves, exactly. uh, with a kind of hopeless abandon. Yeah. I mean, mm. Peggy has that great line about God being a hoper. 
He hopes that we might turn to him in trust and love. He's taking a chance, you know, venturing uh, uh, himself, uh, because we could refuse, we could spit in his eye, but he wants us to love him. And once we do, we're, we're just blown away by the extent to which he already loves us. And he's a pity on our nothingness. You know, he, yeah. he, I think he prefers those who are most right. like Armando. Right. Rather than the ones that come with all of the trophies and all the accomplishments and all of these things saying, look at how deserving I am of your love because right. of what I've been able to achieve in my life. Yeah. But as you point out, whoever we are, God desires us. He yeah. wants yeah. us to pray. Yeah. He, right. he thirsts for us, not yeah. because we quench something that is otherwise unquenchable. It isn't like we complete what is lacking, but he wants to complete what is lacking in us. Yeah. And he thirsts to do that. Yes. And it's sort of, that's yeah. beyond counterintuitive. It's yeah. almost unthinkable apart from right. The, right. the grace of faith. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that there's nothing we have that we could use to entice God. No. But he entices us. I that's mean, right. it's gratuitous. That's right. Undeserved, unmerited. And that does testify to this sheer incomprehensible depth of love which defines his being. Right. The one example that, that I constantly go back to, and it's you know, from my own childhood, is on a Father's Day, a, a little child, so a little boy, yeah. wants to give the father the, the perfect gift. Well, the child has nothing. So the, the little child goes to the father and says, may I please have a dollar? Well, okay, so it's 20, 2014, may I please have five dollars, or whatever it is. Yeah. And the father knows exactly why this, the little boy is asking for the money. He takes the money, he goes to the store, he buys a card, or he buys the materials to make a card, and he presents it to the father. It's, it's not anything very expensive. It's not anything, you know, precious by any sense of the imagination, but it's the most precious gift that the yeah, Father's ever right. received yeah. because it's, it's given from such a pure heart. But it wouldn't be possible if the Father didn't first give the little right. boy the right. means wherewith he could go and buy the car to make the car. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful analogy of what we do with God. Yeah. And, 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 and it's amazing that, um, that we have been created with that whole yeah. Uh, that, that desires love, that desires that sense of belonging, but it also is an actually giving of ourselves that, that it begins to be filled. I mean, obviously not just by human uh, experiences, but by the divine. Of course, the trouble is we oftentimes find false substitutes. That's right. To exactly. fill yeah. the hole. And, and, yeah. and, and that's the reality that I, I think is important. You bring that out with like the gangs in LA, or, and we know that from so many other things, where uh, humans, we, we have this sense of longing. Whether yeah. we know it or not, we're searching for it and filling it in, in whatever way we can find on this earth sometimes if we don't recognize that that's only going to be fulfilled uh, by the Almighty. It's true. Sometimes the, the sense of that hole, that void in us, is so daunting, it's so intimidating that um, we're afraid to engage in the search. Mm. And that's why the church exists to be the friend to, to, yeah. to humanity. Right. because. Jesus knows this. I mean, right. this is why one of the greatest images of our Lord in the Gospels is the Good Shepherd who leaves the 99. They're in great shape, you know. They're they're, they're they have their their community. They're you know they're they're meeting. They're 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 very secure. But there's one who somehow just doesn't fit into the flock, and he's the one that that the shepherd goes in search of, and yeah. that so often captures how the, the state of so many people. And so the church exists to be that shepherd, to find that one, to say, don't, don't hang off that cliff by your hooves. No, there's something more, right. you know, right. just, just give in to the love. And of course, that sheep is the only one who gets a ride home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even if there wasn't a problem of family breakdown in our society, I think there's still a natural tendency in our psychology to think in competitive terms, zero mm -hmm. sum. If, if I yeah. get it, then you lose it. If you get it, I lose it. Yeah. And, to, and to see that God is absolutely and 
eternally non-competitive, yeah. that He doesn't take anything away from us when we give worship and thanks and praise. And at the same time, we discover that He asks of that, you know, He asks that of us in order to fill us with Himself. You know, Augustine's idea that He can command love precisely because He gives it freely as a gift. Right. And I think that, that, that view of things, I mean, it's hard to get our minds around. It's hard to trust God enough, but especially with the decay and the breakdown of the family. You know, communion has been replaced by competition. The idea that we have these bonds of trust, I mean, these are replaced by ganglands, you know, right. uh, and that sort of thing. And, and so reconstructing this vision of love, on the one hand, it's deeply satisfying because we know as soon as we hear it that this is resonating deep within. Yeah. On the other hand, we can, you know, we can go towards despair because it's like, you know, where are we going to be able to maintain that apart from isolated, you know, episodes? But this is where friendship, this is where ordinary conversations and relationships yeah. build up what I think otherwise would be unbelievable. And everyone is capable of it. It doesn't That's matter how much education you have, how, how well off you are. I mean, the fact that I can look at another, look at another's needs and, and love them in their ultimate meaning, which is one of the definitions of friendship, and do something about that, I begin to change immediately. Right. You know? right. And it's a powerful thing to realize that it's, it's not just this, this theory, I mean, theory isn't the right word, but it isn't just this, this, this relationship with the invisible God. No. It, it, it's this, this whole in us to give ourselves away to other people. But, but there has to be a certain commensurability uh, among the friends. I mean, yeah. you point this out by uh, critiquing, really savaging, that awful play <laughs> by Edward Albee about the goat. I mean, he falls in love with a damn goat, uh, as if this could fill the hole in the human heart. It's and a well-written play about a very bad right. topic. No, he's That's, a superb you know, uh, I don't want to... Right. But, but his wife, I think, fingers the malaise. What's wrong with you? How can yes. you love me when you love something so much less than myself? Right. It's a travesty. Yeah. Either love is meaningful, either it signifies, or it's all part of the tyranny of, of, of relativism. And I think it does signify, because no if I live without it, no matter how much I try to exist as a kind of a spiritual or psychological couch potato, right. you know, just yeah. trying to ignore the void, the thing is, my heart keeps pumping, and it knows what it needs, and right. it will not allow itself to be filled by anything but love. No matter how many other things I try to cram in there, I, I think of them as the four P's of pleasure, power, possessions, and prestige. They come from St. Thomas Aquinas, but right. they don't right. work. That's but right. when love is there, then the heart is happy, yeah. the heart delights. Yeah. Well, that image of, of the, uh, the constant, incessantly beating heart yeah. uh, is borne out so neatly in that story yeah. that you recount by Edgar Allan Poe, the telltale yeah. heart. He, sh he kills the guy, he yes. buries him but under the floorboard, but the heart, it just keeps pumping. That's right. I mean, it, it indicates this deep, uh, uh, unfathomable, unfathomable desire for more, this eros, this longing that nothing human can ultimately satisfy. Which is why the church refers to the mystery of the sacred heart of Jesus as yeah. the one that sort of captures all of the dimensions of the life of Christ, mm -hmm. but especially focusing on Christ's desire to love, and a, and a love that is indestructible and gets past all of the resistance that um, our, our fear of the void can throw up in his face. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents as we go deeper into the understanding of God's love. One huge way that Christ shows us his love is just the very fact that 
he chose to become one of us. Like he didn't stay um, in heaven and say like, you know, I'm gonna help them. No, like he came down to our level so that he could relate to us, so that he could suffer with us. And when we go through crosses, he can be like, I've been there because he has. When you stop and think about how individual uh, Christ's suffering death on the cross was, you really feel a sense of how amazing his sacrificial love is. And it's obviously made manifest to the Eucharist, um, which he provides for us all the time. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking to Father Peter Cameron about his new book, Made for Love, Loved by God. Um, Father, this is, this is really a, a seminal topic for us as, as Catholics, as Christians. Uh, but when we look at the scriptures, um, what examples uh, does, do we have of God showing his love in salvation history? I mean, a well, couple hard, of them, I think. <laughs> it's hard to read the Bible and not find an example because every, every, every verse of it is. But, you know, of course, just the moment before our Lord dies at the Last Supper, when He has said everything, when He has shown everything, revealed everything He possibly can about us, just to, to drive the point home so that there is absolutely no doubt in the mind of anyone, before He mounts that cross, He says, listen, I do not call you servants. Hmm. You're going to think above your, of yourselves as servants because of the sin in you and, and all of the things that are going to cause your, your mind to, to, to think in a defective way. So I'm telling you hmm. emphatically, I do not call you servants. I call you friends. And to prove it, I'm going to do exactly what friends do. I'm going to lay down my life for you yeah. because I love you and only for that reason. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that is the story of love. It is. Uh, you know, no greater love than this. There's friendship with God in the Old Testament, with Abraham, especially the father of faith, and Moses and David, a, a man after God's own heart. And yet, what Jesus is referring to is the fact that in the Old Testament, a master-slave paradigm is still predominant. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't call you servants because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. Well, only when the master reveals the face of a father by sending his son and pouring out the Holy Spirit do we look back on the Old Testament and suddenly we're like, we get it. This was always about friendship. And just as you have to raise little kids and instill in them a sort of fear, but not a cowering servile fear so that they're just sort of, you know, afraid of getting pot caught and punished, but, you know, a, a fear that is ordered to love and virtue. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's the key that unlocks everything in Scripture. And, a, a, and apart from that key, I think people have a, a, an understandable fear of picking up the Bible and reading it. Yeah. More and more lately I've been talking to people who are reading the Bible and who are looking back and realizing, for years I just dreaded that, you know, and I can huh. see why it's a jungle. Yeah. But at the same time, until you hear the voice of a father, you know, and you point out in your book that for many people, father is a dirty word, yeah. you know, and Saul Bellow's son, Greg, you know, yes. and how he described the experience of the divorce, like a deep sea diver, suddenly the, the, the oxygen is cut off and you're choking for the lack of love, yeah. you know, and this is what I think God alone supplies, but even when he supplies it, we don't always receive it and we need that 
especially to make sense out of his word. Absolutely. But there is a paradox here that, that turns on this business of friendship. Because at one level, Jesus doesn't have any friends. He doesn't die for his friends. He dies for his enemies. Yeah. I mean, with the exception of the mother of God uh, and maybe St. Joseph, but he's dead. Everybody else is an enemy. And yet he wants to win them over. He turns to them in trust, in friendship, in compassion because he would like them no longer to be enemies so that he can draw them into his own life. But there is a drama. They can resist that, that summons, that offer. They can refuse that intimacy and conspire to, to crucify him, which in a way is what we all do anyway. So it's his initiative. I mean, he's the suffering servant. He wants to be our slave. I mean, th th you couldn't construct uh, an image of God more dramatically at variance with the reigning notions of God, say, in the Islamic world, mm. uh, than this notion of the Good Shepherd or the prodigal father, you know, who really doesn't spare himself at all in welcoming his son home. And the testimony to the power of that love, I think you can see in a person like St. Peter, who certainly makes himself an enemy of Jesus right. by denying him three times yeah. in the most explicit and really, it's, it's, it's obscene. It's every time we read it, I cringe at it, you know, not, not only because it's my name, but it's because could you, could you be any more, right, right. you know, uh, uh, rejecting this man who you love so much. Yeah. But even in the midst of the blackmail of that sin, yeah. he does not Gave, give in to the despair, as does Judas, because right. as the great saints of the church say, they, they both committed the same sin, yeah. but somehow there is this love acting on Peter at the moment that he is the greatest enemy, and it wins him, you know, it, 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 it brings forth these tears, and I always say, you know, Peter's greatest moment maybe was the moment that he said to Jesus, you know, call me to you, so let, me, let me come across the waters to you right. Right. in faith, and, and he does the same thing, kind of walking across the waters of his tears at this moment, mm -hmm. back into hope with Christ. Right. So much so that Jesus, with a kind of a sense of humor, I think, at that breakfast fire, oh, right. when he yeah. looks at Peter, he says, do you love me? Right. It's like, are you kidding? This right. is the question right. you're asking. Here's the list of things I've done wrong. No, it's 20 right. pages. When you're right. done, right. you really want to ask me right. that question, right. but I Peter know. knows. And three times. Yes. Right. And Peter knows that deep down, no matter how much he can accuse himself of, and no matter how scandalizing the fact of his own sinfulness is, right. the reality is he's, he's been made by something for something else that still continues to claim him in the midst of all right. of that yeah. ugliness. Right. It, it's, the, it's the whole spirituality of littleness which exactly. Therese perfects. Yeah. I mean, she really says things like, it's my perfection, it's my imperfections that make me so endearing to Jesus. And I sort of cherish yeah. these weaknesses because otherwise I wouldn't need him and there wouldn't be anything he could give me. Yeah. God, yeah. God loves us in our nothingness. He has yeah. pity on our nothingness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which puts his love so far above and so amazing that he still continues to, in the midst of all of this, all that we have done, that, that laundry list that Peter had, that we all have Absolutely. in our own personal lives. Which, that's what makes me stop and say, okay, well, what is love really then? Because it's obviously not what it, it, it says on television shows or in commercials or things like that. It has to be something more than just what I'm going to get from it. It has to, it has to be something that, it, that is that is the very essence of, of what it means to be alive. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we speak of love along with faith and hope, I think it's, you know, warm, fuzzy, mm. flowery language. But I think we have to recognize that, you know, so often it's elusive, it's almost unattainable mm. because deep down, you know, if we look at faith as trust, 
we don't usually recognize how deeply we distrust God. Yeah. You know, okay, love, yeah. But deep down, I think a lot of people, I know at times myself too, we resent God. If I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. I wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me or to my loved ones or whatever. And, and, and I don't think we're aware of the extent to which we distrust God, we resent God, but He is. He's mm. fully aware of that. And I think the most shocking part of this is that he's not only aware of it, he wants to absorb it. You know, it's almost like the Son of Man who's lifted up like the bronze serpent in John 3. You go back to Numbers, and he had just delivered them out of Egypt. He was feeding them manna and water from the rock, and what do they say? He lied to us. He brought us out to slay us. Well, what are they implying? That God lied to us and he's killing us. Well, who is the liar and the murderer? That's Satan. And what are they calling God? In effect, Satan. So lift up the bronze serpent, call me Satan, but look at, acknowledge what you have done in resenting me and cursing me, then I can begin to heal you. This you know, and it's a reversal, it's like, you better be God or this isn't gonna work. You know? right. And that's the astonishing thing about God because God is absolutely perfect. There's nothing that we can attribute to God that is anything less than, than supernal perfection. But if it were possible, I think the only thing you could accuse God of is having bad taste. Because right. you know? <laughs> He loves me. It's love and you excess. Know? It's excessive. Because yeah. I would be the guy in, right. in, in, in numbers making all of those, those complaints and being so resentful. But still, God just sort of like smiles and says, yeah, I want you. Yeah, and so, so, I choose. so we have so many examples throughout salvation history, throughout Scripture, as we've just, just discussed a couple of them, but, but how does God demonstrate His love in the here and now today? How does that... This is the major it? question, isn't yeah. it, right? Because especially for young people, because you say God is love, we don't want to reduce it to just something sentimental or, or warm and fuzzy, and there are real needs. I mean, loneliness is so powerful and palpable and, and really corrosive Yes. That you know, I talk in a book about this study that shows how it can actually um, contribute to um, uh, bring the onset of disease yes. and, and yes. increasing the aging process. So I remember I use an example. I was on a retreat once, and there was a chance to give some little testimonies at the end of of the retreat. And this one young woman got up and she said very simply, "I know that God loves me." because he gives me companions. Mm. You sad. put that in the, I, I, yeah. I read that and reread that. that right. That's right. so I beautiful. And, and it's simplicity. Yeah. The fact that that's so little went so far yeah. that there was companionship on a retreat, mm. so she discovered God. Yeah. I mean, right. that just, yeah. that gives you hope because you're so busy and you're doing so many things with so many people but if you could just connect with one. Well, God is writing straight with crooked pencils. Right? <laughs> you know, other people, these pretzels, they're twisted uh, like, like we are, and yet God works through uh, that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he, there's something ironic about God. He can take something that looks catastrophic and pull the rabbit right out of that hat and, and uh, amaze and dazzle us all, like his own death. I mean, surely any sensible person would say, this is over, uh, this is finito, we better find somebody else. You know, let's become used car salesmen. <laughs> There's no percentage in this. This guy is, is, is a train wreck. And yet, you know, Easter Sunday morning, he bursts through the gate in the grave of death. You know, what, what struck me about that episode was that it was utterly unprofound. I mean, I, I was thinking, right. why put that in the book? precisely because it's so it's not profound. And so ordinary. And yet it's so, atten yeah, yes. it really is so ordinary. It's like, 
no matter how exhausted I am, I can do that. Yeah. And I can also experience that. Yeah. And it's not like a Piggy quote or a Claudel quote. It's just like this broken woman at the end of the retreat gives That's a right. testimony and, and her name is Legion. Everybody's like that. That's you right. Know? So are, are there other ways that God's love is made. I mean, that's a that's an ordinary example that we can all know and see. With an extraordinary yeah. utility. With it, exactly. Yeah. Are, are there other ways or other manifestations, if you will? Well, there are. And the flip side of this, of course, is this doesn't mean that we're going to become quietistic and just sit back and wait for God's love to just wash over me like the waves of the ocean. It yeah. will do that. Yes. But the point is, if, if I know that I am this hunger for love, well, here's the thing. I'm going to go out and love others. Yeah. I, I'm so don't sit back and wait. No. <laughs> I mean, because the thing is, to, to be made for love is, means, yes, I'm going to receive this love which chooses me first. I, you know, you did not choose me, I chose you. Right. But if I'm going to be true to that, then I have to be acting. You know, I have to be in action. And so love propels me to love. So I'm going to go mm. out and I'm going to find the poor person, the person who is lonelier than I am, the person who is in need, even if it's just something very little. Some, yeah. some small, you know, gesture of charity changes me. And yeah. that's right. how this right. network of love is built up. And that's how we experience God. And, and again, that giving Absolutely. away. Yeah, in yeah. the giving, yeah. yes, yeah. in the giving. You, you could reduce uh, Christianity really to three shatteringly simple statements. God is love, God loves me, and I must love my neighbor. Mm. Bear the beams of love. Yeah. Love the other or die. But, but the saving grace is when you love the other, you do so by participating in God's own love. And so you love him with his love, which makes it work. Otherwise, it would fall flat you know, on its face. In Augustine, in on Christian doctrine, in setting out all the principles by which we can understand the signs of creation and read scripture, starts off by showing those three rules as yeah. interpretive principles. That we're not going to understand the language of love or the message of love or Christ apart from that sort of openness to being loved and to sharing that with other people. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, though, it has to be lived in very concrete ways. Exactly. You know, yeah. and so it's, it's not only not warm and fuzzy only, it's not just theoretical. It really has to be done in conversations, in interaction, yeah. in families, but at workplaces too. And I always say, and I always say to myself, it has to be gratuitous. That is to mean, I have to, I have to engage in acts of love, not because of what I'm going to get out of it, or because someone's going to notice it, or someone's going to give me praise, but because love is worth it. So yeah. if somebody leaves a mess in the, in, in the kitchen, I'm going to clean it up. Right. And even though it's not my job and somebody else should have do it, I'm going to do it because that's the way that love is. And right. I'm going to anticipate the need of the person who has no clue that I see that they need this particular thing. I'm going to provide for it. I'm going to do it in a secret way because yeah. that's the way that love is. Yeah, and that's what postmoderns won't believe. They want yeah. to deconstruct every act of love to show it's really a will to power. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's satanic. I yes, mean, it, it really is. poisons. Yeah. Why is um, that mercy one of the greatest attributes of God's love for us? <laughs> because we're made in mercy. I mean, did, did you deserve to exist? Or did I deserve to exist? No. So it's mercy that says, he doesn't, Mike doesn't deserve to exist, but let's have a world with Mike because it's better. Yeah. And it is, you yeah. know? Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've met you, but you very <laughs> <laughs> so. And, and, and that's how mercy is. Mercy takes what doesn't exist and brings it into existence, and right. then suddenly the world becomes a place of joy. Oh, we have so much more to unpack. Stay with us for the next segment when we go into suffering and growing deeper in our relationship and love with God. Stay with us.
So when I was a teenager, I lost my older brother, Jonathan, who has special needs, and I went through a period of loneliness. Um, and part of my spiritual formation, especially here at Franciscan, was learning how to accept God's love through that loneliness. That in reality, I was never alone. The Lord was always there. He was always providing me with comfort um, and joy through my grieving. And so that's how I experienced God's love. Giving me a good family um, with good examples, giving me good friends with good examples, um, being able to hang out with a crowd that really um, you know, wants the best for me instead of one that's going to bring me down. Um, just little ways of, of God sh you know, showing me gifts and loves uh, that He's put in my life. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of our campus. Uh, we're right now in the studio of our communication arts program here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. The camera and the equipment are being operated by our students um, and our, our panelists, our regular panelists, are our theology professors here at the university. Um, Father, we, we've been talking about uh, the love of God and how we're made for love. Uh, but for so many people, they, they look at suffering in the world, and, and some of them use that as the reason they say that God either can't exist or he's some kind of uh, uh, evil person who wants us to, to, to how can he be a, a God of love if he allows suffering, I guess is probably the simplest way to, to put that question. So obviously in a couple of minutes or even a couple of hours or days, we're never gonna be able to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. But we have to start, I think, just from human experience and from the simple fact of this. The moment that you become my friend, the moment that I experience uh, uh, love for another, suffering immediately appears. And what, what's mm -hmm. the form of suffering in that case? It's the suffering of possibly losing you. Right. The risk. Yeah, the risk. So I can't love you without also at the same time bearing the, po the, the, the fear of losing you. And so that's why to think that it's possible to have love without suffering right. is not only illogical, but it's, it's inhuman. Mm. And so if you look at the flip side of it, there's a great, there's a great value to that because it's, it's the fear of losing the one that I love that makes me grow, that nurtures that love, that makes me value the beloved so much more. So much uh, so that in the life of, of faith, we talk about two different kinds of love. Um, I mean, we talk about a, different, a lot of different kinds of love, but we talk about filial love, filial fear, and servile fear. Mm -hmm. and, and servile fear is, is the fear that um, I'm, I'm going to be punished if I do something wrong, mm -hmm. the fear that, um, uh, but, but what, is behind, what is behind that? It's, it's the fact that I know that this is how our parents, how, this is how we are towards our parents, or initially as children. You know, we, we're going to do the right thing, even if we don't understand because our parents are our parents. Right. But even when that goes away and we become more mature, there's still a, f a filial fear. Right. That, that, and what is at the basis of filial fear is just this, what we're talking about, this, the fear of ever losing the one who means everything to me. Mm. So mm. to think that I can be um, 
uh, a person who's, who's deeply mature without having some modicum of suffering in my life just doesn't correspond to the way that life no. is. So lived. suffering is inherent in it love is. and inherent in our human condition. So when we look at so many tragedies throughout the world and people wonder why does that happen, it's part of our human condition, but it's also at the basis of, of love. And it can't be explained, as St. John Paul II said, on the level of justice. Yeah. And that's what happens sometimes. It can only be explained mm. on the level of love, and sometimes you have to be in the midst of it. Yeah. That's why Pope Benedict XVI said that so often when people look at, at horrors like the concentration camps, it's the people on the outside who say, oh, how could God make this happen? Well, but yes. the people on the inside yeah. say, oh, there is a God because he's yeah, taking that, care yeah. of That oftentimes intensifies their mm. faith, you know, this it, encounter with, with suffering. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite part of the chapter on suffering, chapter five, was you know, after quoting Mother Teresa and St. John Paul and Pope Benedict, you quote Viktor Frankl yeah, and yeah, Search yeah. for Meaning. And it, he was on the inside of the concentration right. camp. Yeah. Right. And he saw the unspeakable horrors of human suffering, the likes of which was just purely diabolical. And yet, you know, even apart from belief in Christ, he was able to decode a divine purpose to see that, that suffering, when it meets love, becomes sacrifice. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then suddenly sacrifice is not just placating some angry God who is, who is wrathful or indifferent at best, but it's participating in something that was almost unbelievable before it's revealed. And, you know, that's why when Christians read Man's Search for Meaning by Frankl, I, I think in some ways you're digging the tunnel from both sides, you know, yeah. from the New yeah. Testament, the cross, but the yeah. Old Testament yeah. and the anguish of exile and all of that. Too. Yeah. And, and his point was the that the only ones in the concentration camp who met the suffering with the right. sense of sacrifice were the ones who survived. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he speaks That's of that so term logotherapy. Logo yeah. That if, if yeah. you have a sense of meaning, yeah. purpose to your life, yeah. then you're able to endure yeah. yes. these, these outrageous injustices. I mean, this confirms what I think we all know ever since we were teens. You know, when somebody says, I love you, you know, you've got to figure out, do they mean it? I mean, do you love me or do you love the way I make you feel? Yes. Mm -hmm. In which case right. you're using me and loving yeah. yourself in some disordered ways. Right. The proof is, you know, if you love me, then you're going to sacrifice for me. That's right. and, and, and suffering is really transformed by love into sacrifice, but love is authenticated precisely yeah. through suffering where it becomes sacrificial. Right. It's right. purified. It becomes godlike in that sense. Yeah. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great line, love anything, he says, even a dog, and it will break your your heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, love is a gift of self to the other. Uh, and, and it's in action uh, that it becomes uh, authentic, not, not, not play acting, not dreams, not soft soap and sentimentality, but what Dostoevsky calls harsh and dreadful love. Mm. You've got to go to the cross. You can't circumvent that. You have to suffer. And it does point up the shortcomings. I mean, if you didn't suffer, then you wouldn't know there's something more that I need. Yes. And this absence causes me pain. That's right. Yeah. Then God can step in and fill that gap. Yeah, and you have a, a beautiful, just the connection with Viktor Frankl and, and the meaning of suffering, which then ties back to that, that this is our purpose, this is our identity, is love. Mm -hmm. And that makes that connection. You also draw in that, you know, where is God in my suffering? He's the closest to you in that. Yeah. That's the, the mm -hmm. I don't know if it was, uh, 
St. Therese or who you, you were quoting, but just that when you're that close to Christ, that's when he, you're closest to the cross, that's when he can reach out and kiss you. Yes, well, you can kiss him, you blessed Mother him. Teresa. Blessed Teresa. Yeah, yeah, that's how much he loves you, that he wants to draw you so close that you can kiss him. Yes, you know, oh, beautiful. As a good Dominican, you know that, that, that God is impassable. He's not capable of mm -hmm. suffering in his divine nature. Right. You know, that, that there really is an apatheia. And at the same time, I think what we do is we translate this and realize, and realize that, that he's omnipassionate. He doesn't go through mood swings. No, you know, right. but right. all of what we know as passions, he possesses in their perfection. Yeah. Yeah. So far from indifference, he's invested in us yeah. more than we're invested in ourselves right. or our loved ones. Yeah. You know, Ber Bernard of Clairvaux, I think, puts yes. it very neatly. God doesn't suffer in himself, but he certainly can suffer in others. Yeah. Yeah. He enters into that suffering and he feels it more deeply than those who are victimized by it. Yeah. Yeah. That's he's powerful. not incompassible. Yeah. That's right. he's, he's able to show us compassion. It's the suffering of love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now going from suffering, how do we deepen a friendship with God? What, what are some of the ways when we know God is love, we, we want to develop a friendship, a deeper relationship and understanding of that love? Well, there too, I would always be very simple and just start from experience. So act towards God the way we would act toward any friend. And, and so I think one of the first sort of impulses of friendship is wanting to be with the friend. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because the, when I'm in the presence of a friend, my life, no matter how much it's, it's, it's deteriorating, it, it just starts to come together. Mm. You know, I remember when I was in uh, Washington, D.C., I was studying the Dominican House of Studies, which is on a major street, and uh, the students used to not use the crosswalk to cross, and this one student crossed the street in the middle of the street, and he, and he, got, um, he got hit by a car. Oh. And so they called an ambulance. He was okay, but he needed to go to the hospital, and there were a bunch of people gathered around him. And he said, very simply, he said, could somebody please just hold my hand? Mm. No, yeah. that's like, and this is, this is what the heart is looking for. We just, yes. I need always a presence. I need yes. a presence. And if I have that presence, and so to be as present to God as I possibly can. And that's why at the Last Supper, it's interesting, he doesn't leave us a book. He could have left us the big <laughs> book of Christianity, you know, yeah, and he could have said, take this all of you and read it. He doesn't do that. You know, he leaves us him, himself, his body is blood, but his self, St. Thomas Aquinas says, so that we have this presence. Because he knows the moment that he mounts that cross and, and Good Friday descends, right. we're going to be in the deepest darkness, but we have this presence to cling to. Right, yeah. Excellent. You know, uh, a striking uh, uh, image is, is that of the Twin Towers, mm. those victims who leapt to their death, many of them held hands yes. uh, as they plunged a uh, hundred stories to, uh, to the pavement below. But that, that sign of solidarity yes. is, is so eloquent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it testifies to the poverty of man. He's a child of poverty. He's a beggar. Uh, and Giussani, as you know, rightly identifies the beggar as the chief protagonist of history because he knows he's yeah. poor. His arms are outstretched. And they wouldn't be outstretched if he didn't have this expectancy that somebody will fill them. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about that, just even spending, I don't know if it was a retreat or something, you had the recommendation of just spending time, even if 10 minutes a day, you know, meditating on and asking for a deeper sense of God's love for you. I mean, to be able to have that sense within you so that you can go out and share that love. Uh, one of the greatest it. gifts that our Lord gave us is the gift of His name, mm. the holy name of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's my constant companion because mm. 
when you're walking, when you're in the midst of doing menial labor, whatever it is, you can always be saying the holy name of Jesus. And just think of how, how much you're cheered and encouraged and changed when you hear your own name called. Well, it's this very same thing with God. Yeah. And the more you say his holy name, the more, as St. Paul says, it, 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 it consecrates you, it purifies you, it sanctifies you. And that, that renewal happens con continuously through, through this bond of love that, that's lived simply through the whispering of, of uh, it, it, the beloved's name. In mm -hmm. some ways, I think people assume that it's just too human to be divine. You know, mm. we prefer Elohim, something lofty, theoretical, Yahweh, something distant and, yeah. you know, uh, esoteric. And yet Jesus, the man who walked the streets of Palestine, in his humanity, that's how he wants us to know him, the sacred heart as well as the holy name. Mm. But I think, you know, you nail it when you point to the Eucharist as the sacrament of divine and human friendship. I mean, he doesn't say, read this in memory, in memory <laughs> of me. He says, do this, and, right. and this is the Eucharist, and this is my body. Yeah. I mean, he's not just holding our hands. He's, 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 he's basically allowing us to ingest him that he might assimilate us, body and soul, to yeah. him. You know, it's like that kind of friendship. Whoa, I mean, yeah. let's get beyond devotionalism and pietism, and let's ponder that a little bit more, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, there, there's a, a passage of early on in Ratzinger's introduction to Christianity where he's casting about for the defining feature of faith. And he says, you know, it's the personal dimension, the encounter with the human being Jesus. And in this encounter, you discover the whole meaning of being as person. Yeah. Mm. I mean, God comes so close that we can reach out and touch him. I mean, that's sort of unthinkable. It's just inconceivable and utterly unmerited. I mean, what do we have that could possibly commend us to him? You know, Ratzinger is also responsible for one of the greatest backstories to Vatican II. The night before it convened, you know, he gave this paper to all of the German-speaking bishops on the draft de fontibus revelazioni, on, on the sources of revelation, scripture and tradition. And he was basically critiquing the idea that, that revelation is reducible to scripture yeah. and tradition. Scripture and tradition are the result of revelation because revelation is the loving presence and acts of God mm. in our life, you know. Right, yeah. And suddenly this draft becomes Dei Verbum and the first yeah. chapter is now called Revelation Itself where we discover that revelation is not just scripture and tradition. That's the scienza, that's the scientific part. Revelation is God the Father revealed through the Son by the love of the Spirit. And then we're off and running. And then we make more of scripture and tradition in the process of discovering that this is really you know, something that results from a love that goes beyond all telling. Yes. So Father, when we, when we look at loving our friends, loving our neighbor, or, or even loving our enemies, uh, mm -hmm. what, what does that really look like? And, and, and how does that affect uh, both us and our relationship with God? Well, as Regis said a moment ago, it's, it's making a gift of myself. Yeah. And so when I love another, I'm, I'm not loving them because of what they can do for me, so how some way that they can, can, they can make my life better. I'm loving them because of the fact that I have been loved that way myself. I'm, I'm, uh, God loves me uh, not because I'm good, but because He's good. Right. And from that truth, which is a deeply liberating truth, I am given a whole new optic on life. So even if somebody is treating me in the worst possible way, the reality is that he or she is in a relationship with God just as I am. So I'm mm -hmm. going to honor that. And the, and the fact is that 
we are made for love. And if, if Dominicans are always preaching veritas, and <laughs> that's the truth that we have to, even when I'm up that's against the, the worst possible kind of fiend, yes. you know, the fact is his heart is made the same way that mine is. He doesn't know it. Yes. So yes. I'm going to do everything in my power. And, and if, it, if it means that I'm going to go to my death as a martyr, I'm going to go to my death. But you look at somebody like St. Paul Miki, these great Jesuit martyrs dying in, in, in Japan, in Japan on, on crucifixes and on the cross he basically says okay you've done everything you can to me to torture me my life could not be any more miserable now I have something to tell you Jesus Christ is real <laughs> he loves you right you belong oh, to him he belongs to you. do you think I'm gonna get anything out of this for telling you this now that's the truth yes right. yes and that truth will set you free that's right. and it, it, right. it saves everything it Even makes it, it all hurts. worth it yeah Even that's it right that's right well you uh, I'm sorry we're, yeah we're out of time <laughs> <laughs> join us for the final segment of uh, University Presents Love is really truly lived out when the joy is shown in our actions and our words, knowing what the best is for someone, and it not, might not just be, um, it might just be taking five minutes out of the day to just listen to them, see how they're doing in life, and ask if we can help in any way. St. Catherine of Siena has taught me a lot about selfless love and finding that place within yourself where you can come to know the Lord, but you can also recognize yourself as His beloved. Study online on campus or both in graduate programs for working adults at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Advance your career with the ethical approach to management you'll find in our MBA. Bring online learning to life through our Masters in Education. Prepare for advanced practice nursing with our Masters in Nursing. Check franciscan.edu or call 800-783-6220. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking with author, preacher, and teacher, Father Peter Cameron, about Made for Love, Love by God. Um, this is our final segment. Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, yeah I do have a takeaway line, but before I get to it, uh, I'd, I'd like to pick up uh, a thread of, of that narrative we ended with uh, uh, in the last session, the example of Paul Miki, not a Dominican, but uh, <laughs> a Jesuit, martyr. And, and remind us that there's another uh, Jesuit, not a martyr, but his life was a kind of living martyrdom, Peter Cleaver, mm. uh, who I think uh, in the early 1600s found himself in Colombia, South America, which was the gateway for the slave trade. And he would habitually go into the hold of these slave ships and, and instruct and console and baptize uh, these men because he saw Christ in them. You know, love became something harsh and dreadful. It wasn't sentimentalized, it was the cross. And, and then I, I thought of this wonderful short story by Flannery O'Connor, uh, in which there's a girl, she's 12 years old, and she's really sentimental. And she sometimes fantasizes about becoming a martyr, so long as it's quick and painless. But the real struggle, of course, is to get along with her, her brother and sister and her mother, and that she can't manage. Therese, the little flower, I mean, she wanted to be a martyr, but in fact, she had to live with these impossible people uh, in Carmel. I mean, these nutcases, these neurotic uh, Carmelites, and yet she saw Christ in them. And, and when, when she died, everybody thought, she was my best friend. That, that's how she managed to endear herself to them. And, and then finally, 
we're sometimes drawn to God, uh, not out of love, but out of loss, out of suffering. We turn to Him in desperation. I mean, this summer we went to uh, uh, South Carolina on holiday, but we picked the wrong week because it was filled with jellyfish. Mm -hmm. So I stayed out and, and read novels, but my children were devoured by these jellyfish. Evil in Waugh uh, decided when he was about 20 to commit suicide by walking into the North Sea. And he took his clothes off, he, he left a little tag from Euripides, some romantic pessimism, and he walks into the, the North Sea and immediately he is stung by jellyfish. That's, that's reality, that's a wake-up call. And it brought him to his senses and he comes back and he lives his life uh, in, I think, a better way. Mm. God can draw us uh, in, in any number of ways, and pain is, is oftentimes his preferred instrument. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Regis. Scott. Well, you mentioned Jesuits. It's great to have a Dominican on the campus of Franciscan, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the lion and the lamb lying down. Uh, one of the things that you said at the end of the previous segment that really struck me was just the, the fact that it's truth, it's veritas, that this content of veritas is caritas, it's love. And, and, and so intellectualizing this is never adequate. You have to find that the truth that we're studying and learning is really a truth of, of life-giving love. And so you've got to get up and you know, receive it, but you also have to share that as well. Um, this little book, it seems, you know, it, it sort of betrays the reader. You pick it up and you think, uh, it's, it's too little to have this much, but it's really deep. And I want to thank you for writing it, but I also want to recommend it to people because it, it, it's like a necklace for me. When I was reading it, there were so many pearls of insight, wisdom, and charity that uh, you string together in a way that is so useful. Now that I'm back to teaching seminarians on Monday, I, I'm always looking for things to give them. This is one of those things, you know, not just lay people, but, but especially those who are preaching and teaching, who can find the best illustrations, to find the one-liners, but also the practical experiences that really get us through the jellyfish. You know? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Father? Well, as a last word, I just would like to try to say something pastoral, especially to the viewers who maybe aren't feeling God's love and maybe feel a little engulfed by the sense of loneliness mm. or just being isolated or withdrawn. And in particular, to say something to young people. I have a big heart for teenagers, especially in the parish where I, I help out on Sundays. Because teenagers feel this hunger, this need, this yearning for love, I think, in such an intense way. And thank God they haven't developed the ability to uh, find false ways of kind of meeting it, you know? So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pain, it's, it's very poignant in their life. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that what they, they're feeling is something that is so crucial for their happiness. They know that what they need is, is to belong. So I just want to, to reemphasize something that I've already said, which is the fact that you are loved. God loves you. And why does he love you? Don't, yes, you can look at all your failings and your flaws, all of the actual sins that you've committed, all the evil in your life. Here's the thing. God doesn't love you because you're good. Mm -hmm. He loves you because he's good. And that's how the way goodness acts. He, 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 doesn't, he can't even see those things in you. He sees the real thing in you. And that's what he loves in you. And he wants you just to trust that. To, to take that gaze of love. If Jesus did anything in the world, it is the fact that he looked at us in a way that no other man ever looked at us, with a gaze of love that penetrated and pierced through all of that misgiving and all of that resentment and all of that fear and all of that, that doubt that 
that I'm ever going to find the love in my life that I, that I need. But in his eyes, we see it. You know, it says in the Gospel of Mark when he, when he met the, the rich young man, he said Jesus looked at him with love. So just let Jesus do that and, and do that by saying his name, going and adoring him in the Blessed Sacrament, and then go out and find somebody to love, even if it's a little way, and love that person and wait for the miracle of love to happen. It will. That's great. Yeah. Father, thank you both for being on the program again um, and, and also for speaking on our campus to our students. It's, a, it's really a joy and this is a, a fabulous, fabulous book. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's topic, uh, Made for Love, uh, Love by God, we have a handout for you at faithandreason.com, a great excerpt from the book. Uh, you can download it at Faith and Reason or just uh, by asking for it. Um, today we, we talked about the, the primary focus of the gospel, uh, that God is love. And that, as Father Peter just said, it, it starts with God, and it's Him who first loved us. And if you haven't ever fully experienced, not, not just the idea that God is love, um, but that He is the one who will transform your life. And um, if you haven't taken it, take the time, whether it be 10 minutes a day, whether it be going on a retreat, to, to bask in that gaze that He gazes upon you. And your life will be changed. And wrestle with Him. I, I recall a story that Father Michael Scanlon, uh, uh, President Emeritus here, with him going into the woods wrestling with God and, and just, just struggling with that. If you don't know He truly exists and truly loves you, take the time, invest in that relationship. But two, it's, it's not about us. We've got to give ourselves away. And we, sometimes it's, it's easier to love the invisible God than the person that we live with or that we're in uh, a coworker, or whatever the situation might be, but we're called to love them, to give of ourselves. And, and third, um, I feel like sometimes we as Catholics, as Christians, we look at all the things, the Beatitudes and all these things that, that we're being asked of, and we think that it's impossible. And we, we get this daunting sense that, you know, to be, and God even confirms for us, be perfect as, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How can we do that? It's right, it is impossible for us. And that is why we need God's love to be present in us. I cannot be the Father that I'm called to be without God's love, me knowing that and sharing that with others. So uh, thank you for joining us today. I, I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission, which is forming the students who are going out to transform the world. Maybe you can come and be here on our campus or through our online or distance education, get your degree and be empowered and equipped to go out and serve. Uh, maybe it's coming to one of our summer conferences, whether it be the youth or the adult. It will have a transformative impact in your life. Maybe it's joining us on one of our pilgrimages. Whatever it might be, or going to faithandreason.com. We have lots of resources, Father Peter and so many others on there that can equip you to be an evangelist as part of this new wave of the new evangelization. Father, could you close us with a blessing? I'd be honored. May Almighty God love you and bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, great pleasure. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.